Hey guys, welcome to episode 71 of Untucked. Today we're going to talk about dying with zero, a concept written about by an author, and we talk about the practicality of it. We're also going to discuss thematic investing, um, investing in different themes, and then finally the Manti Teo documentary on Netflix. Enjoy. The opinions expressed on this podcast are our own and do not reflect the opinions or views of FC Advisory, the Financial Coach Group, or the New Wealth Project. Nothing discussed on this podcast should be interpreted as investment advice. Welcome to episode 71 of Untucked. This is Megan. And Mike. This is Jeff. Did you know that if you count the number of seconds between a flash of lightning and the boom of thunder. You've heard that whole thing before. Light's faster than sound. So you can, you count the seconds between the flash of lightning and the boom of thunder. Divide that number by five, and it tells you how many miles away you are from the storm. Yeah, I didn't know the, the divide by five piece, but I knew that the shorter the time, the closer it is to you, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So I knew that like yeah. old. I thought it was an old wives' tale, though. But it's a, it's official, and then you divide it by five, and you know how many miles away the storm is, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, that's only half of my fun fact. Oh, here we go. In the late 18th century, it was believed that ringing church bells repelled lightning. So many churches like bell, like okay, I'll skip that part. So it like the. The church bells repelled lightning. So during a thunderstorm, bell ringers would run to the bell tower to ring the bells. However, a high a high tower with a metal bell was about the worst place you could be. So between so between 1753 and 1786 in France, 103 bell ringers were struck by lightning and killed, resulting in the custom from being banned. So really the the fun fact here is that it took France 33 years to to figure it observe. out and 103 deaths, dude. Gee, all doing the same thing. <laughs> wow. So like people I, have always been dumb. Like that hasn't changed. I mean, I know we have hindsight, right? But electricity falling from the so- sky. Like, let's run into a metal. Hey, where's Francois? What happened? <laughs> and then they go up and they find these. Another one. Oh, uh, we lost yeah. another good soldier. <laughs> Who wants to be the next bell ringer? <laughs> that was good. Right, good one. Yeah. Yeah. Two-parter. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it a two-parter. <laughs> what do we got? Oh, man. <laughs> so much. Oh, man. Has All right, we got we to gotta cap this. Okay, I'm going to take a break for about 20 minutes. I'll be back. All right, real, real quick. I mean, it's... it's Dude, Phil's, it's been a debacle. Yeah, they're falling apart. They're falling apart. Like, jump off the bandwagon as soon as possible. <laughs> Um, they have just lost two to the Arizona Diamondbacks back to back. They lost Monday and Tuesday night. Arizona's not good. They lost seven to thirteen on yeah. Monday. Monday they were up seven nothing, and then gave up thirteen runs unanswered. Wow. Last night they lost three to twelve. Oof. Like they just bats are pretty quiet these and, days, and and they ended. <laughs> They ended the Pirates series with a loss. So they took the first two from the Pirates. Now, there's still a half a game above the Padres for the second wild card. Still a lot of baseball left. 
but I'm sure I haven't listened to sports talk radio. I'm sure they are like falling apart. Yeah, as high as everybody was on them like two weeks ago, everybody's now that low. Yeah. They're the all typical. they're all turning to the birds, right? High hopes. Yeah, I mean Love that so segue. we're done we're done with, we're done with the fills. That was a great yeah. transition, by yeah, the way. Yeah. You're welcome. I was gonna give you the the rest of the fill schedule no, with their competition. We're good. We're okay. good. Yeah, we got uh we'll have football in a week and a half. I don't know how I feel about the birds. I feel like it's too much. It's too much positive hype. Like, I f- like they feel like they're so good on paper. Like, it, on paper means absolutely nothing. Like, yeah, I'm excited because it's another Eagles season, and I love AJ Brown. But they still have to get on the field and execute. And there's 53 other men who want to stop you from accomplishing your goal. So until they kind of like do it on the field, I don't really care. Jason Kelsey basically said the same thing. He was like every year that they pick us to do well or to, to be, you know, whatever the best. He's like, we end up sucking. And then every year, everyone, no one expects anything of us. We, we come out (laughs) ready to play or something, whatever we come out and have a good season. So it'll be interesting to see because they are very much hyped right now. I mean, I was reading Twitter with whatever they, whoever they acquired yesterday. People are like, they're the best defense in the league. They should win that. They should win the the the, the NFC East, like no problem. Like, yeah, I don't like that. I yeah. don't like that chatter, and that's where I think coaches really carry the the most importance. Like, you need to keep your players humble and hungry and obviously like i'm not in the locker room i don't i don't watch like the interviews of the players so i don't know if that's their mindset but i just hope they are because if it's the other way around if they're smelling themselves they're going to get like wiped off the field so what's your prediction we're making a bird's prediction yeah i don't know if we'll record again before the season how many games do they play that now 17 I think it's 17. Yeah. Right? They added one, right? Yeah. 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 So I got them at nine and six. So the other two games got postponed due to like. I was COVID curious if anyone would pick up on the map. <laughs> <laughs> um, if they play 17, I'll put them at 10 and seven. Sure. I like 10 and seven. I'll go 11 and six. Wow. Wow. Mike Trainer. The optimist. The optimist. Who is this guy? <laughs> I know. It felt like Price is Right. I had to. You, know, you had to go up. One this guy's already got a fantasy football draft under his belt. He's been he's been in the football mindset for a while. Yeah. And there's one player on my team that I recognize the name of. So. <laughs> I'd have to. I haven't gone through the bird schedule, but I would. Uh, I'll throw out 10 and 10. And, okay. We'll come back to the tapes. Yeah. <laughs> We definitely won't. What episode is this? 71? 71. Okay, yeah. yeah. We'll come back to episode 71. <laughs> is that it for Philly? Scores I think so. Us? That's it. We yeah. have no, no six, Sixers, no Flyers to no. talk about. All right. Coach's Corner it is. Let's do it. Okay. Should You Die With Zero? This is written by Nick Majuli. He has a blog of dollars and data. Nick's article discusses an idea authored by Bill Perkins known as Die With Zero. Bill's suggestion is that people should strive to die with zero dollars to their name. 
His reasoning is that every dollar you didn't spend while alive is wasted life energy. It's money that you never needed to work for in the first place or money that could have been given to your heirs earlier in time. Nick's article discusses the pros and cons of this approach. So die with zero, Mike. Figure it out perfectly so you die with zero. You bounce your last check. Yeah. <laughs> pretty, pretty silly term. And he even says, of course, it's easy to say die with zero in theory, but it's much more difficult in practice. No, it's not much more difficult. It is impossible in practice. <clears throat> Nobody possibly dies with literally zero. So what would be like a... Close to zero. I get it. I get it. I get it. Yeah. But, what would be a success? Like if you're aiming to die with zero and you have a million dollars and you retire, I'm using a million for easy math in my okay. small brain. So a million bucks... I retire between the ages of 65 and 70. I implement a spend down like lifestyle where I'm spending down my money. So I'm spending more than it's earning. Um, so I'm dipping in the principal every year. What's a success? 300 grand left? Um, or less? Zero. No, but that's, <laughs> like not a realistic? that's not practical. Like what's a realistic success if that's your goal? I don't know. Like I don't know how to even answer that. Yeah, I mean it's less than that even, I think. Like I I picture someone who has everything paid for like they're not even touch like they they spent it or almost all of it and everything else that they need is being paid for whether it's long-term care or um their social security covers everything and they really don't have to um rely on their what they've what they've saved, what they have. And then it's, yeah, hundred grand, and it just stays at that because they're not yeah. touching it. Yeah, um, that's how I picture the die with zero person. But that assumes a lot of things that you have made provisions to have um, resources available to you to take care of you or to to whatever, however long you live. Um, so there were a couple I, of interesting points in it that I that I and I found. The concept, like conceptually, when they mentioned, like, I don't know if it was the book that he that he was reading and commenting on, but, you know, every dollar that you accumulate that is unused is wasted work energy. And I never thought of it that way, mm -hmm. right? Like if you decide to work to 68 instead of 62, mm -hmm. I mean, that's six years of your life that you worked. That you, you, you maybe didn't have to. You didn't have to. And I know it's impossible to time it and know, and it gets even harder if you're a couple because now we have the longevity of two people that we need to account for. But I thought that was just an interesting way to think about it. I think uh, the the concept of it, I, I definitely, um, I, I don't know if you agree with it. I, I love the idea of of people thinking about either meaning they have to work less or they can give their money away sooner. I, I think it's awesome. And I wish that, you know, we deal with a generation of people who were raised by depression babies. So there is a, a frugality mentality and a very conservative approach to their money. So there's a psychological element that I think, you know, is very difficult to, to kind of counter. But I think if you could get someone to agree that I'd rather have the money being used by people who are ultimately going to get it or I'd rather not work as long. Like if you could figure it out, if we could know all of the unknowns, 
I think the vast majority of people would do this. Right, they would they would strive for it. Like if I knew I'm going to be in a long term care facility for two years, I have the exact amount of money allocated for that. Right. If I knew that, like if if we could determine all of those things, I mean, I think a lot of people would gravitate towards a, a you know, a, an approach like this. Yeah, I think we see way more people that are um, concerned about running out of money than trying to thread the needle. Yes. In that way. And um, not because they don't have a lot of money. Right. They have a lot of money, but they're still concerned yeah, about money. Exactly. Yes. And, I, and I think that the psychology is like everything here. You'd, you'd rather die with more than, way more than you need. Yes. Than cut it close. Because then that, that, then that means that you're maybe relying on your kids or relying yeah. on other, others to kind of support you. And most people don't want to be in that position. Um, so I think they err on the side of spend less, maybe work longer, um, create a buffer, knowing that you probably aren't going to run out, but that maybe smallish chance that you that you do is is everything mm-hmm. for a lot of people. Now, what do we? See? I mean, how do we see our clients using their money? Like we don't. We we have very few, if any, that are like using a spend down method. Are spending down yeah. their money because they they want to live a lifestyle and, and that means they have to spend it down and they don't care to leave anything. Most of our clients want to leave an inheritance to their kids. And I think most of them are just employing the, I want to spend a little bit less per year than my portfolio earns. Yeah, I, I don't think, think there's anybody who's intentionally trying to spend more. There are years and situations that warrant it, but I don't think it's an in, an intentional approach by any of our clients. Uh, and I would agree that most people want to leave money. I do think, at least in the last couple of years, with really account balances being as you know high as they've been, people have been ve- much more deliberate about gifting. I think that's become a more regular part of our clients' plans. Um, than it had been previously. And that's, I think, part of of this is that they're realizing maybe a little bit, not to the extent where they're going to like drastically alter their lifestyle. But if I can give give each of my kids five or 10 grand and my grandkids, I can help someone with college. Like they're more willing, I think, to do that. I mean, it's pretty, you can build a strategy where you're doing something very, that's trying to accomplish what this guy's talking about, right? Like if you live on 40 grand a year from your investments. You could take a million bucks and you can set up your 40 grand a year from there and adjust it for inflation every year. And then the other half a million, assuming you have a million five, the other half a million could be set up to be like a spend down strategy, all right? Like I'm, I'm 65 over the next 20 years, I wanna spend that 500 grand down to zero. Right? Like you can do it that way. Mm-hmm. Just most people don't like seeing the number go down. They don't like seeing the total go down. And maybe that's going to change when this generation of wealth dies. But I think that's going to, I mean, I was thinking about another point in the article where you're talking about most people inherit money in their 60s, where 60 was the mean age, which I don't see that in our practice. Like I see people inheriting money in their 70s. Sure. Yeah, that's younger. Than right, because their are. parents were closer. Right. Yeah. Right? Their parents are younger. I mean, yeah. 
I have a buddy who just had a kid last week. He's 45. Yeah. Like, his kid's going to inherit money when he's, like, 40. Yeah. Like, I think that age is going to go down because our generation was not having babies as early as our parents were having mm -hmm. kids. So I think that number was a little off. I think it, more people are inheriting money later now. But I think as time goes on, you're going to get money younger. And that's yeah. going to be a game changer, right? If you're inheriting half a million bucks when you're 55, like that's huge. Your kids are hopefully off the payroll, out of college, and yet now you're entering your peak earning years. And oh, by the way, here's half a million bucks. And it's probably going to be more because this generation has more money. Mm -hmm. Thoughts or feedback, guys? As I was just rambling there for a little bit. <laughs> I thought well, you were talking about people watching their account balances go down. I feel like my initial thought on that is that it's the first time in their life that that's happened, probably. And that's uncomfortable. No matter whether you marry it to the fact that you're spending it down and like yeah. what you're doing is perfectly legit. But I think I could imagine a lot of people just have a lot of discomfort with just that part of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I kind of feel like I would, you know, when you're used to like trying to like build and accumulate and grow for your entire life. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know, it, it slaps you in the face too. Right? Like, you're, yeah, your days are numbered. But that's which they are anyway. But, but, yeah. But but and you're closer to the number. So what does it matter? You have less time. It's a morbid way to look at it, but like, I don't need it for the next 40 years now. I only need it for like another 20 and 20 ain't that long. So we have, I mean, another challenge is we have clients that don't spend nearly enough on like Megan, you're talking about gifting and that's been more prevalent that, um, in, in our practice, but there's others that just have no idea and they, um, they have way more than they're ever going to need under any scenario. And they're and, and many of them I can think of successful kids. And mm -hmm. these are beneficiaries that aren't necessarily going to be like Jeff, to your point, like, wow, that half a million bucks came in like really, really handy or whatever. But um, it can be a challenge to get people to like assign a purpose to the money that isn't you or your or your kids or a charity or, or something else. It's, um, it's almost like there needs to be some other, some other thing. If someone has no charitable interests, maybe they don't even have kids. Maybe they don't have, uh, anywhere that it's like earmarked to like what then? I mean, that nothing. I mean, then, then they you, really did work for no reason. Yes. I mean, that those cases are, you know, probably the extremes of this is, and that's, that's strictly like not wanting to see your account balance yeah. go down. I mean, that's the perfect example of that. If you have no people, no organizations that you feel can benefit from you, and the only reason you're like limiting your lifestyle, maybe, or working to achieve a certain lifestyle is for a number that's the worst way to live right yeah i, I mean pe pe people do it i'm not <laughs> i don't think like i've never done the exercise at least i don't think i have like i don't know what my number is like what am i working and accumulating towards I have no idea you've you've given me benchmarks i don't think they're like very well thought out i mean i no think offense. they're semi thought out but 
I have no, like when the house is paid off and the kids are out of college and they're not living with my wife and I, and I have no idea what my budget's going to be. That's exactly what I would say. I can't tell you what I'm going to spend, so I can't give you a number. But that's a, like if I only need two million versus five million, that's huge, dude. Like I can leave here like way sooner. Yeah, you know but, what I mean. Yes, but you're also like f- charitably inclined. So if you leave here later, it's not like your money's not going to go to. Good. I'll find a good purpose for it. And and I think that's that's part of the framing of this. Like societally, right? We've we've created this timeline of of employment of work. It's like you got to get to sixty. And for some people, it's probably completely arbitrary. But for the for most people. You know, there's some number in their minds between, we'll say, 60 and 70 that it's like, I'll start stop working. Have they done a budget exercise? No. Do they know how much money they need? No. So they don't have, like, the important information, but it's just the age that we've kind of told people, like, maybe you can stop around this time. I think, like, the idea of people intentionally stopping 10 years sooner is crazy. Like, I don't think that's going to be the outcome of a – even a whole generation trying to like die with zero. I think it's the opposite. It's like, let's accumulate as much money as we can for those working years. And then I'm going to spend it, give it away, give it to my kids, put my name on a building. I think that's the realistic way that this, something like this comes into play. I don't, I don't see somebody being like, Oh, I can work five less years. There's just too many unknown variables to make that type of call. Yeah, and as you're talking, I'm thinking about how often, like, people just don't plan for it. Mm-hmm. It's just, I mean, m- hundreds of conversations a year that we have where people walk in and are just like, "Look, I'm, I'm 62. My wife is uh, 63. This is how much we have. We have no idea if we can retire. Mm-hmm. Like, you have no idea what your budget is and how much money your money can give you, and what Social Security sh- like. They have no idea." Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of people, to your point, like they just get to somewhere between 60 and 70 and then go grab Mike Train and go, hey, can you help me figure out if I can retire? Mm-hmm. Like, dude, where were you 20 years ago, man? Mm-hmm. So like what I'm talking about doing, I think would be valuable for like a, a guy like me, like at 45. Okay. What could the next 15 years look like? Savings, work, pay down of debt. And then what would I look like at 60? Yeah, because then I think you can get into that sure. age sixty with an with an education and a framework to be like, okay, like maybe I can call it right. I don't have to go to sixty five, or I don't have to do the same thing. Same yeah. thing, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Earn the same amount, yeah, right. Yeah, I mean it's it's certainly interesting. I think, and and he says it in here. It's what makes financial planning more of an art than a science. And you know, you could do the math. You can do. You can you know, run the numbers, but it's, I think you started off saying like, it's impossible. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we've also had the opposite end of the spectrum. People come in with a very detailed spreadsheet that goes out into the future. And it's almost as, I shouldn't say that it's way more useful than having nothing, but because it doesn't factor in all of the what ifs and they're not going to be what ifs, they're what whens. right? Right. I just made that up. Is that pretty good? It's a what when. Yeah. Um, but it's know. wrong. Your <laughs> right. spreadsheet's Your wrong. Your spreadsheet's not right. It's not right. I mean, it's yeah. great work, but it's completely wrong. All right. Good. You want to talk about thematic investing? 
What's that, Meg? <laughs> uh, a client, we recently had a conversation with her. Um, she expressed interest in purchasing a fund of, it was energy-specific companies, I believe. Um, and it just kind of got us talking about the different types of, I'll say, themes uh, that investors can uh, kind of subscribe to. Um, and Fidelity defines this approach uh, as identifying trends that are reshaping the world and investing in stocks that stand to benefit from, from that growth. I mean, I'll start. I have a lot I could say on this. I mean, I've been. Buckle up. <laughs> in this area of the business for like three plus decades. This is not new. Thematic investing is not new. Um, it's been around for a long time. And I would say the main reason it's around at all is because at the end of the day, this business is about this part of the business. It's about marketing. And so, you know, you have these thematic funds that are so sector funds, I would say are, um, are like the, there's nine or 10 major sectors in, in, all of the stock market, right? There's energy, healthcare, financial services, like broad, broad kind of sectors. And I kind of feel like those are mostly fine. But then within that, there's just a, a slew of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of funds and ETFs that are um, anything you can think of. They've been created and marketed and launched, you know, robotics and AI, nanotech, cybersecurity, there's an aging population fund, which presumably has companies in it that are going to benefit from the demographic trends or whatever. There's weed stocks. There's, you know, solar. There's gaming. Sin, sin, they call them sin funds, which are like tobacco and, and gambling. None of this is new. Um, and I really think that it's a terrible idea to invest in these things um, because people forget there's a huge, huge difference between an innovation that is a great benefit and, and a business or an industry that gets, um, that proliferates and has success and a great investment. Um, I always use the, the example of since like 1940 something, the airline industry, the entire airline industry has lost a cumulatively $32 billion, right? And if you think about the progress that's been made and the success that's happened and the growth of that industry from nothing with the Wright brothers till now, military, commercial, like it's staggering. And you would have maybe thought like, wow, if I could have been an early investor in the air, in the aviation industry, you know, home run. No. And the reason is simple. It's like the weed stocks are all, you know, down 40, 50, 60, 70% since they launched. Why? Because it's competitive. And because anything that's innovative is going to attract competition and most companies lose. Most of them are losers. The big winners are the big winners, but there's so much competition that if you go and throw out a thematic ETF out there, like, hey, the robotics and AI uh, fund, Mrs. Jones, you should buy this because this is the future, you know, and how, think about how easy they are to sell. That's yeah. why they're launched and marketed because advisors and brokers can easily sell the shit out of that stuff um, by talking about the story of the day, whether it's, and today it's ESG. And I can 
give you my points of view on ESGA, but I'll I'll turn it over to you guys because I just rambled for a bit. Well, I have a question. So, like, were internet stocks a thematic fund like yes. twenty years ago? Yeah. Okay. So the Munder Net Net Fund, and guess what happened to that? It went out of business because it owned companies like Pets.com and Globe.com, like all the companies that were at the forefront there, but they were losers. They went out of business. They did not survive. But the companies that did survive, they just, if it's an innovation and, and if it's world changing and it's, pro, and it's profitable, it's going to end up being in the S&P 500 for lack of. Not necessarily. But I mean, I just, it'll, that, that sector will be a large part of the economy. Great businesses do not equal great investments. No, but I'm saying the internet industry yeah. turned out to be profitable and, and, and world-changing. Yeah. And it's now part... It's really technology. It's, I mean, it's, it's not just an internet yeah, thing. Yeah, I know, yeah. but I'm, I'm using that as, as yeah. a dumb term. So there is a tech portion of the market. And it's... Microsoft is a huge company. Amazon is a huge... Like, these are big, big companies. You didn't invest in... A thematic fund you and the, those those companies now became the market am i saying that right probably not you're saying that it starts they all start somewhere right and like ultimately you could probably put most companies into some sort of theme you could categorize them in some way and like we always talk about, like not every company is a winner. But don't only you don't have to buy the theme because the winners are going to be in the market. If you just own the market, right? You own the S and P. You own mid, large, small. You're going to own the winners that make it. That eventually that get there is my point. Like just I agree with that. Yeah. Rather yeah. than buy the theme, just yes. own the markets. Yes. Because the winners of the themes are going to eventually the themes, be in the, the market. In- the themes just seem so obvious, right? Like, right. isn't that the whole point of investing? Identifying trends before they become big. Own the companies that are going to be the winners. Yeah, but no. Like, most of the themes, most of the companies in the theme funds are going to die, aren't they? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Like, most of them aren't going to make it. And if you own a fund that has 100 companies and 87 of them go out of business, you're probably going to lose your money. Correct. Okay. I think that, and beyond the marketing, I completely agree with everything you've said. It's, it's, human nature i think to want to control a little bit what you're investing in or at least feel like you are you you know you really don't have the control but you can say like i feel really strongly about this particular theme i want my money allocated in that way and be damned if it's smart if it's you know if, if they're gonna get somewhere else eventually but this is a way for me to take control over what i'm investing in and i think that in addition to marking the shit out of these things, it makes for the perfect storm. So I think the other, the ESG part of this has has been more of a recent theme that is probably dominates all of the themes right now. ESG is what? Environmental, social, and governance is what it stands for. So, um, and obviously it's become very political um, because the whole, and, and and I'll, I'll criticize the Black Rocks and the Vanguards and all the big fund sponsors for, in my view, just my personal view, jumping on that bandwagon because they saw it as a marketing opportunity, not a real investment opportunity, not not a not a thoughtful investment um, strategy. 
So for example, they will screen out, or they say they will screen out companies that are polluting the environment. So, you know, oil companies or companies that don't have diverse boards or diverse management teams um, or companies that are um, doing something that is contrary to the social justice warriors, to use that phrase. Um, and of course, in, in today's environment, it's become uh-huh. very, very popular. Right. Polarized. <clears throat> um, right. What's interesting is that when now that the SEC and other regulators have gone in and looked at what they're actually what the what are in these funds, they're seeing no difference whatsoever between like an S and P five hundred fund and an ESG fund, and the ESG fund has Exxon Mobil and all these other, and so they're getting dinged for this, and it's actually backfiring, and a lot of a lot of people are calling bullshit on ESG in general because it's just marketing, and I would say I might be one of them. And it's really not a legitimate investing strategy. It's a way for you to, you know, feel good about yourself because what you yeah. what you own um, aligns with maybe your your political views or your social concerns or what have you. Um, but I get back to the whole reason for launching this an ESG product. If you're a fund company looking to make money and raise assets, it's you found a willing audience ready to pour their dollars into your funds. And I feel like that's all it is. Now, I I know a lot of people disagree with that, but that's my view. I don't mind the idea of like the social, um, what was it called? What was the old term? Socially responsible investing. Like, I get it. Yeah, it used to be SRI. Like, I don't want to invest in companies that invest in gambling, tobacco, um, guns. Okay. I mean, that's like to each his own. Mm-hmm. And if it affects your returns and you're okay with that, I don't think they've proven that it affects your returns, but um, I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, but the fact that these companies are marketing ESG and the funds they're actually selling are not doing what they're supposed to be doing, that's kind of lame. Well, I think it's even uh, like more problematic if you're a company that's feeling pressure to be included in an ESG fund that yeah. that may buy shares in your company in order to qualify you may change your business strategy change your hiring practices change a lot of things so that you can get the 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 grades to qualify to be in that to be in that category and i i think that's i just think that's wrong yeah i don't think that's the mission of a company is to care first and foremost about esg and secondly about like the products that you make in the business that, I mean, obviously there's a balance. Like you can't, you know, dump wastewater into the, you know, sure. I mean, and I'm like, not, it, I'm not saying that at all. I just, right. I just think it's overboard. I do think some of those, some of the, the criteria, right. That, you know, to, to be an ESG fund or to be in a particular fund um, require of you are noble ventures. They're just not things that can happen overnight or that, that to your point, Mike can like, you, you can't completely blow up the way that you do business to adhere to them. Do I think it's it's reasonable for those to be goals, to, to make progress towards more diverse boards, more environmentally sustainable practices? Of course. Like all of that basically is, yes, that's all good stuff. It's just the way it's being fed to consumers, I think right now is in kind of an unfair way. Like they, again, they feel like they have some control to invest in 
missions and, that that are important to them, but then in fact they're not. Like that's bullshit. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think that the fund industry is just disgraceful. Not everyone, not all of them, but just you look at the list of the stuff that's being launched. I mean, there's a MAGA ETF mm-hmm. appealing, obviously, solely to the <laughs> very um, passionate group of would-be investors that would put their money into that. And from an investment perspective, it's ridiculous. Crazy. Um, and I, I mean, I, I would even say, you know, some of the some of the other you know, wind energy and solar and stuff. I just put that in the same category as all other technologies that will evolve and mm-hmm. certainly be a, a thing. But to ca- try to capitalize on the story yeah. is, is just a shame. And people just have to see through that, I think. Maybe. And it's just rather difficult with the way that they're yeah. positioned and yeah. marketed. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> well said, we good on that. <laughs> I want to talk about Monte Teao. Yeah, Jeff, you just you the, just saw it. Huh? The untold documentary, the girlfriend who didn't exist. Jeff, you want to give us a summary? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was two hours long, right? Yeah. I mean, it's difficult for me because I, I I didn't pay attention to this at all. I mean, when this was happening, I had zero interest. I mean, I have zero interest. I mean, somebody got catfished. Like, okay. It, it was it was bigger than that. I get that. Well, it, not only that, he was like, he was the catfish that started all the catfishing. Like, right. this is how we like they learned were, they about were the catfish that started all the catfishing. I'm sorry. Yep, they That's were. Um, Do you want to define catfish for anyone who's not aware? I I can't. No, I'll let you guys. It's like impersonating someone and like misleading them or something like that. Right? Yeah. 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 Um, and so, it's typically done on, on, on virtual the, channels. Yeah. So I am like the eternal, like all I do is watch something for pure entertainment purposes. <laughs> and like in this documentary, I just, as I'm watching, I just assume what they're telling me is true. Right? Like they obviously want you to feel bad for Monte Teo. Really? I, mean, I right? felt like it was more, they wanted you to to kind of feel bad for... Renaya. Oh no, I'm with Jeff on that one. I no, think. yeah, and I think I think that that person is that their, his name Renaya. Their name Renaya. Yeah. I mean, I thought Renaya looked like a complete psychopath. Oh, don't like, disagree like a, like a whatsoever. Psychopath. But the fact that they even gave them the platform and even the opportunity to explain themselves to me, I was like we know that the that the people who do these things have a little bit of a screw loose. We gave a whole Netflix, half of a Netflix documentary to them. Like, Renaya, like, I get it. You're transgender in a time when this is not acceptable, right? And you're, you're, you're growing up in a family where it's really not acceptable. Your way out was to create a profile of a female. I'm okay with that too. And then you engage with people. I'm okay with all that. Taking the random picture down though off the Whatever, I'm okay with it. I'm not okay with you calling the dude Teo as her brother 
and then talking to the parents, like now you've become a psychopath. <laughs> when you start doing that, and then you go and meet them at a game with the little girl, like, mm-hmm. hold, the person's crazy. Mm-hmm. But um, to my earlier point, like, I watch it, and you're supposed to feel bad for like Monte Teo, and I, but do like, are we, were we supposed to feel bad for him? Or like, were you supposed to like be watching it and go, is this guy that stupid? Like, how could he have been that stupid? You never met the girl, but you're calling her your girlfriend. Like, you never physically met her, but you're calling her your girlfriend? How is she your girlfriend? You've never even bought her an ice cream cone. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, I, I do. And that's kind of why I was like, I didn't, I didn't feel bad for him. Did either of you feel like that? Like that he mm, had an angle? No, I didn't. But I also didn't feel like... The, the purpose of this documentary was for me to give him any more sympathy. It was just like, he was an idiot in this situation. He was high profile. And like, this is how we exist as a society. They sh- the, this stuff happens. So this whole thing was close to a decade ago, maybe. Yeah. yeah. So what I took out of this was that, um, and I don't really, re- at the time it was happening, I may barely have been aware of it because I just didn't care. But, so when the story broke that the girlfriend died, this is the, the catfish girlfriend. Yep. Lene. Along with like the same day his grandmother died, whatever that was, because he was a high profile college football player at the time, it was national. It was ESPN, late night talk shows, mm-hmm. Ellen. Actually, that was, that was a little bit later. Let me back up for a second. To me, the, the, the interesting thing was that Deadspin broke this story. Deadspin's kind of a sleazy outfit. It was my favorite part of the whole documentary. So, and the, and they were very clear about that they wanted to expose uh-huh. the national media for how pathetic they are at their jobs because not one of them lifted a finger to try to fact check anything or try to identify who this girl was and get any details whatsoever about her. They just reported, and then they all piled on, and they jumped on the same story, and it was everywhere. And Deadspin broke it and was like, you guys are pathetic. And I think that was the most interesting part about it Mm -hmm. because, to me, it's like that times a 1,000 today, right? The media does the same thing but way worse. Mm -hmm. There's no fact-checking. It is just a rush to make up stories and say anything. Oh, what's his name was on Kobe's helicopter? Rick Fox. No, he uh-huh. wasn't. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. But they reported it. Right, right. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. to me, that was like the beginning of, and it certainly wasn't the beginning, but it was kind of the, I just drew the parallel between how the media treated that story and what happens today. And it's like gasoline on the fire yeah. times a you know, million. So I felt bad for the guy because yeah. I, I, I mean, it was 10 years ago and engaging with someone online, a, a college football player, like you don't have a lot of time. So it was probably in his mind like the perfect relationship, right? I can, she's in California, so it's it's unlikely I'm going to get out to see her anyway. But we create this relationship when my football career in Notre Dame is over. Maybe like it can get, so I can under understand where mm-hmm. he was coming from. What I found laughable at the documentary is how they tried to play that a linebacker on a football team was the determining factor 
why they got blown out in a national yeah. championship. <laughs> yeah, that's a good like, point. Where was the quarterback? Dude? Like, yeah. why didn't they put more points on the board? Like, give yeah. me a break. Oh, because he missed a few tackles. He right. was way off his game. You could tell. Like, that was a joke, dude. Uh, I watched it with Steven, and I was like, what was the outcome of this game? I, I knew Notre Dame didn't win, but who did they play? And he's like, they got smoked by Alabama. And he said the same thing. He's like, why are they making that? Yeah. He missed tackles because Alabama's better than all the other people they played in their in their like. And then the scenes where they're just touchdown Manti Teos, touchdown Manti Teos. Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> it was. It. I mean, as someone who didn't like, maybe if I paid more attention to that thing when it was happening, yeah. I would I would have found less value in the in the documentary. But I thought it was super entertaining. All right, want to do our top five? Let's do it. Top five foods you. Hate, but others love. Or that are widely that are, widely enjoyed, I'll say. Yeah, maybe. yeah. That's a better <clears throat> way to put it. Who wants to go first? I'll go first. Do it. White Claws. Alcoholic seltzers. Not a big fan. Okay. I feel like they're pretty popular. They are super popular. Yeah. And I, I, if you've I, ever seen me drink one, pretend I didn't. I, can, I can agree <laughs> with you. Um, I'm not a big peanut butter and jelly fan. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Never did it as a kid. Love don't a enjoy it now. Love a Olives. I don't know if it's like. <laughs> I thought about that. I don't. I don't know how popular they are. Yeah, I love so olives too. Yeah. All kinds. But I'm with you on that. I feel like any time I I say I don't like them, there's somebody who's like, "How could you not like olives?" Kalamata green. Yeah, not a big fan. Um, sauerkraut. <laughs> And I'm, I'm only saying this because I'm Irish. Ooh, so one, one day, dude, corned beef and cabbage is like, it, it, it's it, it's a thing. It's a thing. So pretty good. What? Corned beef and cabbage is pretty good. Well, cabbage is sauerkraut. That's okay. sauerkraut. Right. Yeah, it's the same treatment. And then cereal. Really? Yeah. Cereal is Jeff loves cereal. such a versatile food. It's so great. I think it's more the milk than the cereal, but the combination, the sogginess. Oh. Excuse me. Mm, disagree. <laughs> All right. I'll go yeah. ask because I think Jeff, Jeff feels strong about it. <laughs> not, not so I'm much. I'm going to go with uh, mushrooms. Oh, oh my mushrooms. God. Yeah. I love mushrooms. Yeah. A lot of people like mushrooms. I'm not sure why. But it's on my list. My next one is kind of a broad category. Mexican food. Mexican yeah, you don't food. Like Mexican food. Wow. Never been to a Taco Bell in my life. Not gonna happen. I'll have chips and salsa, sure, mm-hmm. but I mean, you can have everything else. Mexican food is so good, dude. Mm-hmm. I have to be in the mood for it, but when I'm in the mood for it, yeah, dude. I do enjoy it. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna say virtually all cakes and pies. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> like a pumpkin pie? You don't like a pumpkin no. pie? No. No, and cakes, cake? cake like a birthday cake, ugh, or or like a cheesecake, ugh, or um, I mean all really all cakes, all cakes, carrot cake. I'm oh. just gonna keep naming cakes. Yeah, like no. ice cream cake. <laughs> that's okay, but that's not that's not really a cake. So, um, all cakes. Next, I'm gonna say Brussels sprouts that are like you know how they're the, all the rage is they're done with the yeah. you know all this stuff. <laughs> They're still Brussels sprouts. They're so good. They're, They're so still good. Brussels sprouts, right? Yeah. Would you eat a Brussels sprout if it was just like boiled in water? 
without any seasoning. But I mean, like, what would I eat like that? Yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't boil Rice. chicken and eat it. Sure. Stop. <laughs> Stop it. All right. And then my last one is, you guys are probably going to not like this, but I can't understand hummus. Mm, so good. Hummus is cardboard. You just dude. named, like, Jeff's favorite foods. Yeah. <laughs> hummus. What is so great about hummus? It's... Uh. It's so good. Talk about a versatile food. I mean, my God. The possibilities are endless. There's no taste. We were doing foods that you don't like. I thought thought deviled eggs for a minute was going to be on your list, but that's something you like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I love, but I like them. Yeah. But I don't think think most people like deviled eggs. No, they don't. They don't. But like, you love deviled eggs. No, no, no. Mike, you would order them at a restaurant. (laughs) I have. Yeah, yeah. No one else would do that. Well, No one. <laughs> Why are they on the Why menu? Why are they on then? our menu then? Of course people do. <laughs> 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 our right. unilateral all everyone and no one. There's no overlap in this group. <laughs> no, there's no overlap. So I don't like a baked potato or like a loaded potato. Oh my god. Yeah, I don't like them. Yeah. I think they're stupid. <laughs> stupid? Yeah. I don't like sushi. That's I crazy. I feel sushi is widely accepted. Yes. Yeah, it is. It would be my last meal. Like death row sushi. <laughs> I I cannot st- I can't believe people like cream chip beef. I don't either. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm it's, okay. It's, it's fairly wildly accepted. Yeah. Like a lot of people are like, oh, so it's off. Like they make a frozen variety of it. Like you take it out of the box and put it in the microwave and it's cream chip beef. It's That's like the gravy that people eat at breakfast, right? I just it's feel like gravy, it like. It's like a. It's like a. It's gross. Like a big, like a thick cream based sauce. It feels like it's just like it's just a bunch of salt clogging your arteries, like with every. I'm literally gonna throw. <laughs> it's just got, it's so gross, dude. Um, number four for me is is peppers. I just don't like peppers. I'm kind of with you. Like across the board. Across yeah. the board. Mm-hmm. All peppers. All cro- across the board, and especially like. When I mean, like cracked plate, pepper, like that you sprint that you. No, no pepper. But peppers, I like peppers. Yeah. Like I'm with you. My 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 best friend's kids, like that. He slices up a red. She slices up a red pepper, and like the kids just eat it. Like yeah. it's a carrot. Yeah, it's disgusting. It's it, peppers. Disgusting. That's right. Just correct. Peppers are like one of the best hummus accompaniments. It's terrible. <laughs> and my number one are hot dogs. I do not like hot dogs, and everyone in the world freaking loves hot dogs. That's a good one. Yeah, I, that is a good one. This is strange. <laughs> I like and will eat one a year, maybe two, a chili dog. But just a hot dog? Disgusting. <laughs> Disgusting. You'll never see me eat a hot dog, ever. Not even on Dollar Dog Night? No. Even on Dollar Dog Night, they're like gray. If I'm yeah. like starving and there's not, I, I still won't eat it. No. It's gross. All right. That's I like a good the roll. Do you want to sign off since we always say the other? Yeah, well, hey, thanks for listening, guys. This has been a great episode. Appreciate you tuning in. See ya. Bye.